the house, as it were, the atmosphere, the, the, the spiritual atmosphere of the house into which Jesus uh, was born. And if we look a wee bit at, at Joseph and at Mary, so first of all, Joseph, uh, Matthew chapter 1, and uh, we'll begin at verse 18, that will be enough for this morning's purpose or this afternoon's purpose. So Matthew 1 verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So that's something about Joseph. Let's look at uh, Mary. If we turn over to Luke's gospel, to the, the opening uh, chapter there. So Luke chapter 1, and beginning at verse 26. Luke 1 from verse 26, where we read this. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even, your, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me, may it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Well, amen, and we thank God for his uh, word. Just very grateful to be here at the well, and it gives me a, an opportunity just to express thanks. I was down here not terribly long ago just to uh, receive prayer. I think I came down in uh, December, and I was kindly uh, asked down, and uh, the well kindly paid my, my way down, because I actually have a, an illness, a, a lung disease, and um, um, uh, a couple of years ago they thought 
the prognosis beyond three to five years was poor. Uh, and then they, they changed their mind about that, and I've got something that um, they, uh, something other than what they thought I had. It's called hypersensitivity pneumonitis. It's, um, it's basically when it boils down, it's a long word for an allergy, and um, it's to do with uh, an allergy to mold spores in the, the old house that um, we used to live in. And unfortunately, it's not responded to uh, medical treatment, so what was inflammation is becoming uh, permanent scarring. And so the, the team here asked me to, to come and, and receive prayer. And I found that an intensely interesting experience. I'm actually a bit better. I, I'm not fully there yet, but um, you know, a year ago I had to sit down to, to preach and I don't have to do that anymore. And so there is, there is improvement, even though I'm not all the way uh, there yet. But what I found extremely interesting was um, <clears throat> that as part of that experience of prayer, um, I was offered uh, a beginnings prayer where um, the, the, the early uh, sort of part of life in the womb and the early uh, months or years or whatever were, were prayed for. And, and what I found very, very interesting was, um, and I think this had to be got out of the way, if you like, so that I can receive whatever God means for me to receive in terms of healing. Because as long as I can remember, it's just been there all the time. It's a feeling of, I'm not going to make it. I carried it as a child, um, as a teenager in my 20s, 30s, 40s, and now, well, I'm almost 60, so I've carried it all through life, just this sentence that was just there as a fact. Uh, I'm not going to make it. And uh, what I found was that through the beginnings prayer, um, it was traced, and I believe it's not fantasy, I believe this is real. Um, my, my mother loves me incredibly, but um, I was born, I think it was six weeks premature back in the 1950s. And uh, I was very small, very lightweight. And I know the anxiety that my mother has even now. She's 83 now. And even if I've got a cold, she's up the wall. And I, I know the anxiety that she would have had. I, I know the words that would have been spoken over me. Just a, a fear that I wasn't going to make it. And uh, in that uh, beginnings prayer that was prayed about, and I, I can't fully understand this other than prayer works, um, because that sentence disappeared. Uh, and it's never been there um, ever again. Now, now, you can imagine how that would hold up healing in other ways. If my background belief is I'm not going to make it, then that's not a good sentence to be carrying around in your head if you're looking for healing. So I believe that that had to be got, gotten out of the way before anything else could, could happen. And I guess the reason I want to share that story as well as just sharing thankfulness and, and gratefulness, it, it really takes me uh, into where I, I think God uh, means me to, to go in this uh, second talk. Um, I, I, I believe that I was extremely loved as a child. But no human love is a perfect love. And we, we thought of some of the, the bad experiences of life that can actually hinder us uh, from you know, entering into the, the fullness of the love of God that he has for us. 
But sometimes we actually need to move away from good influences and good experiences that are good but are limiting. And I, I've mentioned to you already that I, I love the, the writings of Henry Nouwen. And this is what he says. He says, without the love of our parents, sisters, brothers, spouses, lovers, and friends, we die. We cannot live without love. Still, for many people, this love comes in a very broken and limited way. It can be tainted by power plays, jealousy, resentments, vindictiveness, and even abuse. No human love is the perfect love our hearts desire. And sometimes human love is so imperfect that we can scarcely recognize it as love. I, I believe that all of us need to move house. You know, I, I was joking almost as a, as a parent of, you know, a daughter who's 31 and a son who's coming up to 28 that they're still at home. And, and my desire for them is that they would be independent and move out and establish their own lives. But I believe that all of us need to grow up, and all of us need to grow away, even from influences that are good, but can be limiting. We, we read earlier of Mary and Joseph. I, I wonder if you've ever uh, thought, why did the father choose Mary and Joseph as being good nurturing ground? in which Jesus could be brought up into his purposes. I just find that there's so many good things about Mary and Joseph. I find, for example, that there are several things about Mary and Joseph that Jesus would have learned from them. Remember, Jesus had to, to learn. He was God from eternity, but he became a, a real human being. And he had to learn. He had to grow up in the ways of God. And I, I think he learned things from Mary and Joseph that were vital. Do you remember how in the, the Old Testament, Jesus is prophesied, especially in Isaiah, he's prophesied as the servant of God, that, that Jesus came into the world to be the servant of God, to obey the will of God, to do the will of God, to fulfill the will of God. Can, can you imagine a, a better mother for somebody whose whole purpose, depending on being a servant of God, can you imagine a better mother than Mary? That at the age of 14 or 15, which is probably what she was, <clears throat> she said to the angel, I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to what you have said. That's an astonishing attitude. And she was to learn that following the way of God for her, being a servant of God, being the handmaiden of God, and being willing to bear the son, it was going to bring a cross, it was going to bring a sword into her own life. Jesus was born to be the suffering servant. Can you imagine a better mother than one who knew that obeying God was costly? And a being God could bring suffering. Imagine what it was like for Mary just with the story that she was to bear the Son of God. Do you remember that old song, 
that uh, we don't sing it very often anymore, man of sorrow's wondrous name for the Son of God who came. And there's a verse in it that speaks about Jesus bearing shame and scoffing rude. Mary had to bear shame. She had to bear scoffing. I can understand why the Father chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus. <clears throat> I can also understand why he chose Joseph to be his earthly father. Everything in Jesus' ministry would depend on hearing what the Father was revealing to him. Have you ever noticed how Joseph lived his life by the revelation of heaven? He'd determine what to do with Mary, namely he was going to divorce her secretly, but he had a dream. And in the dream he was told, the one to be born of Mary, he really is the Son of God. Do you remember how Jesus' survival depended on Joseph having a dream in which he was told to get up and go to Egypt? If Joseph hadn't moved by the revelation of heaven, Jesus would never have survived to fulfill his destiny. According to the servant songs in Isaiah that speak about Jesus, one of the things that Jesus did was morning by morning, he had his ear wakened by the Father to hear from him so that he would know how to sustain the weary. Do you remember that Jesus said, everything I do, it's, it's not me that's doing this, it's I'm, I'm doing what I see the Father doing. I, I'm telling you what I hear the Father saying. Revelation from heaven was essential for Jesus to fulfill his calling. And I can imagine Jesus speaking to Joseph as he was growing up saying, Dad, tell me again, how, what, what happened when you had that dream before I was born? T tell me the one about when you, when you had a dream showing that we should go to Egypt. He grew up believing that the Father could speak and the Father could reveal his will. There's something else about Joseph as well. We read that he was a righteous man. In other words, he lived by the law. He was a righteous man. He obeyed God. And part of obeying God meant that actually he should have divorced Mary before he knew that the child was the Son of God. But do you remember what it says that he was a righteous man and he didn't want to disgrace her. That though he lived by the law, he didn't want the law to be the final dealings in his relationships with people. He wanted to behave with grace. In other words, in Joseph we see truth and we see grace. And that's exactly what people saw in Jesus. They beheld the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, not disgrace, full of grace and full of truth. So there were many good reasons why the Father would choose Mary and the Father would choose Joseph. 
But you know, if we'd had time, we would have uh, moved on in our readings, just tracing the story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And, and we would have found this, that they weren't perfect parents. Do you remember even at the age of 12, attention had come when Jesus went missing and they found him in the temple at Jerusalem. And, you know, son, we've been looking for you all over the place. But didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? There wasn't a perfect understanding going on here. If we trace the story then to the, <clears throat> the first sign, the first miracle that John records, remember the changing of water into wine, and, and Mary comes to Jesus and she says, they've run out of wine. And, and Jesus, well, various translations, women, what is that to do with me? Why are you involving me in this? My time has not yet come. Joseph and Mary were wonderful parents. But Jesus couldn't allow himself to be limited by their understanding of him. <clears throat> he had to move <clears throat> into the, the full purpose of the Father for him and for his life and into the fullness of his destiny. I, I found that, you know, just growing up with my wonderful, wonderful parents and they, they really were wonderful, but um, I, I remember where there came a stage that uh, they were sort of evangelical, Bible-believing Christians to the, the hilt and uh, they didn't believe any of the charismatic stuff. Uh, and I began to realize that God was calling me to experience something more of the Holy Spirit. And you know, it brought, it brought real tension into our home. When I started to go to Pentecostal or charismatic meetings, that it, it always produced an atmosphere in the home. But, but I knew that this was the will of God for me. I didn't want to dishonor my parents, but I, I didn't want to miss out on what God was calling me into. And I remember it came to a head one night and um, I'd been to a meeting and had experienced something more of the Holy Spirit of God and tried to share with my parents and, uh, and they just started to cry. They, they thought I was getting involved in some sect or whatever. And I went to my bed upset that they didn't understand and uh, and my father and mother were crying a bit too that they didn't understand. And my, my parting shot was, but dad, it was wonderful. It was just like, it was just like waves of, of love going through me and through me and through me and, and washing away guilt and washing away shame and washing in the love of God and the delight of God. And I went to bed sort of upset. They went to bed upset and the next morning, my dad came through and his face was as white as a sheep. He said, Kenny, I'm sorry, I've had, a, I've had a dream all night and it was just wave after wave of the sea. And it was just the voice of God saying to me, don't worry, George, this is of me. This is of me. The story continues, I'll just tell you it, the they still weren't wanting these things for themselves, but a, a few years passed, and um, Morag and I, by this time, were 
up in Orkney and uh, we both had the flu and um, we had a child by this stage and it was just a matter of whoever could stumble out of bed to look after the baby and then stumble back into bed and uh, my mum and dad were very concerned and so my father went to this church where I'd experienced the power of God's spirit and he said um, Mr Black I've just come to ask you if you would pray for Morag and Kenny and he explained the situation and Hugh Black was a huge guy he was a headmaster I was terrified of him and he just said to my father, he said, George, I'm not worried about Kenny and Morag. I'm worried about you. And he grabbed him and he put him on the floor and he sat on him. <laughs> and he prayed for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> who, who said God's a gentleman? <laughs> he never said to Paul, is it all right if I fling you to the ground? He just did it. And on my way home, my father, who loves to sing, that's my, he's in glory now, but um, whether he sings in tune in glory, I've no idea, but he certainly didn't in tune, sing in tune down here. And he was singing his, his hymns. He loved to sing, and, um, and we hated it when he sang, but he loved to sing. And he was singing in his car on the way home, and all of a sudden, he was just gloriously, wonderfully baptized in the Holy Spirit and found himself bellowing out these songs in tongues. I picked up the phone the next morning and all I heard was this most discordant, hideous <laughs> singing in tongues. And uh, I could hear my mother in the background, she was ramming the vacuum cleaner into the furniture. <laughs> my father had taken the morning off just to sit in the house and sing in tongues. And she was furious. And she kicked him out of the house at lunchtime and he went into his office in the centre of Glasgow and he looked down and he saw a car with a fish sign on it. And he ran down the stairs and he stood next to the car for an hour and a quarter until the man got back. And he said to him, do, do you speak in tongues? And the man, the man said, as a matter of fact, I do. And he said to my father, do you speak in tongues? And my dad said, no, but I can sing in them. Do you want to hear? And, <laughs> and in the middle of Glasgow, he was just belting it out in, in tongues. My, my mother still wasn't happy. But uh, the time came when, I think it was during the Toronto Blessing, and they were in a meeting in their church, and um, my, my mother's name's Margaret, and she had a friend called Margaret, and people were down the front being prayed for, and my mother's friend called Margaret, and she said to my mum, Margaret, Margaret, I, I want to be prayed for, but I don't want to go down alone. And so my mum said, well, it's all right, I'll take you. And so she went down with her friend Margaret, and all the minister said was, Lord, bless Margaret. <laughs> but the Lord got the wrong one. And he, <laughs> my mum just went flying. And my father saw this from the balcony and he came running down. And he was at one side of my mother saying, peace, peace. And the pastor was at the other side saying, give her more, Lord. <laughs> and it was the pastor who prevailed. And I picked up the phone again. And all I could hear was this maniac of a woman just laughing and laughing and laughing with the joy of the Lord. You know, sometimes it's only as we move into the thing that we need to move into that we can help others where they need to move to. I wonder if there are influences that you need to move away from. 
in order to live in the Father's love and live in the Father's purpose for you. I think that's extremely likely. Let me just remind you that I said my parents were wonderful, wonderful people. But I had to move. And sometimes, you know, it's not so much people that we need to move away from, but influences, church influences, church pressures or whatever. I've told you about my biological parents. Let me tell you about my my spiritual parents, I, I'm really the product of, of, of two things coming together. And, and one would be the, the evangelical movement that emphasized the word of God. And the other would be the charismatic movement that emphasized the spirit of God. And you know, I'm, I'm so, so grateful for both of them. When I was converted at the age of 13, my parents at that time were attending a church that didn't really preach the Bible because it was the local church and they felt that they should attend the local church. And when I was converted, my sister was converted, we said, can we not go to a church where the minister preaches the Bible? So we found a Bible teaching and Bible believing church. And I remember just being transfixed even as a 13, 14 year old, just by the power of God's word. I, I, I just felt transfixed, just stuck to the seat by this wonderful, wonderful Bible teaching. And even at the age of 14, would keep a, a journal of what I felt God was showing me through his word and my life started to change. And then in that setting, I, some of my friends began to have experiences of the Holy Spirit, which were frowned upon in that congregation. I remember specifically that um, we were warned never to go and hear John Wimber. And, um, well, it's a bit like the thing you're told not to do, you want to do, you know? And uh, I remember one Sunday that somebody smuggled me two John Wimber tapes in a brown paper bag (laughs) in the morning service. And I went home and I listened to them under my bed covers because I thought if my mum and dad hear I'm listening to John Wimber, uh, that's not going to be popular. Uh, and you know, within 10 minutes, I was on the floor weeping. Because I thought, this, this man knows God in a way that I've never experienced him. And he actually loves people and he loves the church. His wife said at his funeral that he, he loved the whole church. And um, I thought, well, I can't say that. I, I love those who agree with me and I tolerate the rest. But I can't say, when I listen to this man, I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near where I should be. And it made me seek after the, the things of the Spirit of God. And I'm so glad for that, for that charismatic movement, because it did teach me something about the power of God that, that I didn't know before. And after an experience of being filled with the Spirit, just things started to happen that had never happened before. And I'm so, so grateful that I'm the product of that evangelical movement that emphasized the word and taught the word, but also the charismatic movement that opened me up to the spirit. But this is what I want to say. These parents were not perfect either. 
And I find that over the years, God continually moves me on. And it's not that I'm not grateful. And it's not that I'll never deny these movements that were my parents. But I know they're not the fullness of purpose of my father for me. And I suppose I saw that since coming to Wester Hills, because I think what both these movements lacked in my experience of them what was ultimately a concern for real people in real need. The evangelical movement emphasized doctrine that we needed to believe. The charismatic movement emphasized power that we needed to receive. But sometimes real people facing real needs we're almost sidelined in the pursuit of doctrine or power. And I think I've seen that especially since coming to Wester Hills, where people's experience of life has been such that it's not ultimately going to be doctrine or power that changes them. But the experience of being genuinely loved and genuinely cared for, and genuinely valued and understood. Let me tell you about something that we did uh, last Christmas time. We got this idea from a, a fellow called Chris Duffett, that as well as the, the normal sort of carol singing in the, the shopping center, we actually set up a red carpet, and we had sort of bollards along each side of the red carpet. And we had two people dressed up that looked like bouncers or, or whatever, and they had no difficulty. One of them looked like a criminal, and the reason is he, he was a criminal, and he, he just looked like a criminal, and he was standing there. And the other one was dressed up like as a CIA man or something like that, and, and they had mock radios. And if anybody came up to them and said, um, what's happening here today, they would say, Oh, we're waiting for somebody very important. And then that would get their interest, and they would say, but, but who is it that's coming? Oh, oh, it's somebody really important. And then they would push it even further and get a bit annoyed. Well, who is it? And they would say, it's you. You're the very important person that we're waiting for. And they would get them to walk the red carpet. And from all over the place, church people would appear and they would applaud for them and clap for them as they walked the red carpet. Let me tell you the effect of that. When people reached the other end, some of them collapsed in tears into the arms of waiting church people. All around the gallery upstairs, people started to cry as this was happening. There wasn't one single person that day that refused prayer because they were shown that they were loved. They were shown that they were valued. And I think that sometimes the evangelical movement saw people as people to be converted. 
And the charismatic movement saw people as fodder for experimenting with the gifts. And I think real care for people and really, really valuing them was sometimes missing. And so I'm just wondering, in order for you to move into the, the Father's love and the fullness of the, the Father's uh, purpose uh, for you, I wonder, are there influences that you need to move away from? It might be good influences. It might be parental influences. It might be church influences. Groups can be funny things. They can either be extremely good or they can be extremely straight-jacketing and demand a conformity that stops you becoming who you're really made and meant to be. It's an interesting verse in Isaiah chapter 10. It, it talks about the anointing breaking the yoke. Do you, do you know the word anointing? It, it literally means fatness. In other words, the picture it's talking about Israel, that Israel has become so fat that that its neck has become so thick that it just snaps off the yoke of the oppressor. I, I wonder if there's, is there some buttons that need to pop today? The Bible says to delight yourself in fatness. How countercultural is that? <laughs> delight yourself in fatness that you become so fat in the love and goodness of God that the buttons of the garments that other people try and put on you and keep you in just begin to pop. Every time I think of that verse, my mem my, I go back in my memory to a funeral in Thurso where there was a massively fat man and uh, he got up to sing the opening hymn in a funeral service and the buttons just flew off his trousers and his trousers were down below his ankles. It's very difficult even in a funeral service not to laugh uproariously at that. And the buttons just flew across the church. Are, are there some buttons that need to fly across the room? Because the purpose of God is, is bigger, it's fatter than anyone that knows you sees for you yet. Or, or the church that knows you has seen for you yet. Is there a fatness that you need to delight in? You know, it's almost like the Incredible Hulk. I'm not saying you're the Incredible Hulk, you realize what I mean. But there's somebody bigger there than that, that then fits inside the garments that others have fashioned for you. And you need to escape from that in order to come into the Father's purpose and live in the Father's house. 
You remember I said earlier that in one sense, Jesus, he never moved house. When he came to earth, he, he lived in the place he'd always lived in. He lived in the Father's delight. But here on earth, he did need to move house. He, he had to move from, from how Mary and Joseph would have limited him in order to fulfill the Father's will and in order to fulfill the Father's purpose, in order to become fully himself. You, you'll have heard about that and read probably the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And there's a, one of the books is called The Horse and His Boy. And, and Aslan is speaking at one point, Aslan the lion representing Jesus. Uh, and the boy Shasta says, who are you? And the voice says, myself. Myself, said the voice, very deep and low so that the earth shook. And again, myself, loud and clear. And then the third time, myself, whispered so softly you could hardly hear it. And yet it seemed to come from all around as if the leaves rustled with it. In a meeting in clan gathering, I think it was Jackie Pullinger, that clan gathering is our Scottish summer event. And she said, um, stand up uh, all the men here who are simply in a job because that's what your father wanted you to do. An enormous number of men stood up. Are you still living to fulfill somebody's expectations? Because one of the things that the Father's love does is to free us from being bound to the expectations of others and helps us take the risk of moving towards becoming fully and truly ourselves. And so just as we sort of come towards um, lunchtime, let me just suggest some things for you to, to think about. Um, number one, look, look at the significant relationships in your life. Is, is there an unhealthy sentence in your life that these relationships have caused? Do you remember what my unhealthy sentence was? you're not going to make it. And that came from relationships of love. This wasn't, this wasn't people that didn't love me. It was my own mother who, who would do anything for me. She would lay down her life for me even at the age of 83. But no human love is a perfect love. So is there a, a sentence going around in your head that limits your expectation of what the Father has for you. An unhealthy sentence. Look at the, where did it come from? It could be it came from a, a father, a mother, a sibling, a teacher. Some sort of limiting thought that they placed upon you. We've got a friend and the, the great sentence that our father spoke over our time and time again 
is you've reached your limit, you've reached your ceiling, that's your ceiling. And it totally robbed her of expectation of more good things from God. So it might be fathers, it might be mothers, it might be siblings, but this is something I've been thinking about even in the context of Wester Hills lately. It, it may be uh, children. We're, we're actually living in, age, in an age just because of the way society has gone. We, we hear a lot about how, how parents damage their children. But actually what I'm seeing more and more is that children damage parents. I just see more and more parents living with extreme guilt. That something has been put upon them by their, their children that uh, they feel they live under their children's displeasure or disappointment or, or anger or unforgiveness for real or imagined wrongs and they've been living there too long. Are you a parent or a grandparent who's been limited by your children and what they've said to you? We're living under some sort of cloud of limitation. What or who do you have to grow away from? What learned belief about yourself do you carry that you need to have the courage to question? And you need to know the button's popping. This is one that church vicars wouldn't like me asking. But is there a group or a church that's holding you back? And it's not good for you to be there any longer. You actually need to move. Because the group for all it's maybe benefited you, it's, it's now becoming a bit toxic to your present and to your future health. Groups can be toxic as well as blessed. Might be time for some of us to move church. Whose reaction do you fear? If you were to make a move into the purposes of God for you, if you are to move against the group, whose reaction do you fear? It's good to face up to that and not let it limit you. Another question, what, what no longer fits? It, it once fitted, I, I was once completely happy and an evangelical church, I was once completely happy in a charismatic church, but it became too tight. It, it just didn't fit with where God was taking me anymore. So some questions to ponder just as we spend some more time in the presence of God. Let's just shut our eyes and bow our heads in God's presence. Remember this simply, the Father has good things for you.
So let's just think in the presence of God. Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, would you, would you actually help us just now? Show us if there are things, people, influences, groups, movements that actually have become too tight a garment upon us. Show us if there's unhealthy sentences or misbeliefs about ourselves that, that even those who love us have somehow formed and fashioned. And we need to get away from them, Lord. So we just would spend a few moments. Show us if there's anybody that we fear. Because it's never good to live our lives from a place of fear. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We just welcome you, Spirit of God. And just as we remain in God's presence, I do feel that some of us just need to, it's hard to do this, but we can do it in a private place. It's not dishonoring to think of our, our parents, even parents who loved us. And see there's some things we need healed from. I remember hearing a talk on being healed from good parenting. Sometimes we feel all we need freed from is bad parenting. But even good parenting is not perfect. Like I say, there was an anxious love mixed in there amongst all the true love that my parents had for me. There was also an aspect of um, 
success was very much applauded. And that became a bit of a, a snare to me. It wasn't their intention, but somehow at the age of seven it got hold of me that, oh, if you do really well at school, that seems to get a really good reaction. It wasn't their fault, but it metamorphosized into, oh, I didn't understand this. This is the way the world works. If, you, if you're successful, you're loved. And that just released a whole trail of damage for me. Is that something you're carrying? A, a love that wanted to encourage you to succeed, but somehow it, it in your reception of that message, it got, it got altered. You're loved if, or you're loved more, when you succeed. It's a good thing to encourage children to succeed. But it can be misheard. So take a look at your parents. Was there an anxious love, a demanding love, a conditional love, a squeezing you into a mold love? Because if any of that's true, you've probably carried it into your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And I really got to the stage where I believed that God would only love me if I had a growing church and a successful church and a successful ministry. But you know, when you get into that way of thinking, you never reach the goalposts. They're always moving. And maybe some of you had an experience of earthly parenting where it didn't seem to matter what you did or how you tried. It never seemed to be enough. It's so easy to carry that into our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So let's sit with that for a moment. Are you the victim of a love that was less than perfect as all human love is? That often seemed to be offered or withheld according to how you behaved or performed or succeeded or didn't. Well, your Heavenly Father is not like that.
And I wonder if, as for me, that somehow good love but imperfect love has somehow left you with a picture of a God who's slightly disappointed in you. Or perhaps even more than that, has got a, an attitude of almost passive aggression towards you because you're not quite there. I think God wants to say to some of you, you were actually a really good son or a really good daughter. It wouldn't have mattered what you'd done because the problem was with your father or your mother, not with you. They would still have given you the impression you're a hopeless son, you're a hopeless daughter. Father, I simply pray that not all of us will be suffering these types of things, but if we are, Lord, then just set your wee boys and girls free. Set the wee boy within us free. Set the wee girl within us free. To be able to be happy about ourselves. be able to believe that you're happy about us when you look at us. Set your wee boys and girls free. And just um, moving on from there, just if there's a situation that you're in that maybe you're not meant to move church or group or whatever, but it may be that you are. Do you need to lift a toxic situation that you're in right now that seems to limit you and damage you? And at least say, Father, what should I do about this? Because you mean me to grow, not to be curtailed, so show me what to do. So if that's relevant, just lift that to God in the next moment of silence. a friendship you need to end because its effect is not good 
So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Spirit of truth. I'm just going to ask the, the prayer team to come forward now because we, I, I really spoke too long last time and squeezed out the prayer time. So if you can come forward now, that would be really, really good. And um, if you know that um, there's a few buttons that need popping because you sense God is more for you. Your father sees more in you and has more for you than, than other people have seen because they've not got his perfect vision or perfect love. If you just sense you're being held back and that your father has more for you, then why not come forward and just receive prayer? So we pray, Holy Spirit of God, would you, would you move from seat to seat and life to life? Would you bless those who seek to bless others through prayer ministry? And we thank you for them, Lord. And I ask right now that you'll give them words or pictures or thoughts that will help pop the buttons, Lord. That will help people to be free from molds that people have cast for them and bring them into the fullness of your blessing and your purpose, Father. So we offer this time to you. That's all we can do. We can't demand that you come, but we ask you to come. And just as we offer ourselves this venue and this opportunity, we offer it to you, Father, as well. And pray that you'll come and meet with your loved and lovely daughters and your loved and lovely sons, that you'll meet with your wee boys and your wee girls. And and just bring us into the perfect freedom of the sons and daughters of God. So friends, if you want prayer, then just come. And uh, don't think about it too long because the, the devil will always try and put you off receiving help. Remember, he likes to isolate. So if you want prayer, then just come. And don't think, well, I came this morning or I've come before. Uh, there's some things in my life that I took opportunity every time prayer was offered until the, the breakthrough came. So we've got slightly longer, so do come and, and receive ministry. <laughs>